Thanks for tuning in to listen to this week's Torah study class. Stay tuned after the Torah study for details on how to stay in touch with this ministry and keep up with all of our content. I hope you enjoy the study. Shalom, everybody. We are back. This is the survey of the scriptures, and we have made it to Shemot chapter 15, Exodus chapter 15. We are at the edge of the sea on the other side. They've crossed through now. So when they got to the other side, then sang Moshe and B'nai Israel this song unto Yahweh and spoke, say. Now, this is, this is a miracle that not many people seize on. And that's the fact that Moshe and two million plus, you know, potentially six million people sang this song by the power of the Ruch HaKodesh. And they never, they never heard it before. You realize that? You ever thought about that? Never mm. thought about that. I had not. They all sang it, but no one sat down and took the time to write it and teach who it. Who wrote it? Who, rehe who rehearsed it? You know? Yeah. You thought of that before. Um, you know, yet it says all of them sang it together. All right? We, we call it Sheer Moshe, the song of Moses, but it's, it's all of them that sang it. All right? I will sing unto Yahweh, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. And this is one of my favorite sentences, and I'm willing to bet that it is for you guys. Ozi vezimrat Yah, my strength and the melody of Yah. He is my he is my strength and my song. Zimrat Yah, my melody, my song. And it uses the short form of his name, Yah. And he has become my Yeshua. Vayehi li lishua. All right, that in my estimation is a very, very important phrase. Now think back to last week when we saw the, the, the Malach of Elohim that has had been previously called the Malach Yahweh move out of that cloud move around behind Israel, between Israel and Egypt, and then that cloud moved, or that pillar of fire, it was fire at night. That pillar of fire, it was fire on one side and cloud on the other, remember, because it was dark on one side and light on the other? All right, so that moved, and now we're getting here, and it says, Oziva Zimrat Yah, Yah is my strength and my song, and he is become my Yeshua. Vayahi. Lee. Lee is for me. All right. We just talked about it in our Hebrew lesson. There is really no possession, no expression of personal possession like we have in English. My dog, my desk, my house. It's yesh li bait or habait sheli, the house that is given to me. All right. The house that is for me. All right. So that's what this is. Leave for me. Vayehi. Yehi is the first thing that God says in the Bible. Yehi or. God said, Yehi or. Let there be light. It actually means there will be light. The vav in front of it inverts it. Va yehi. And he was. So it's a future tense verb. 
Yehi is a future tense verb that is inverted by this vav. It's called a conversive vav. But if you take it literally, and he will be to me for Yeshua spirit or behold behold King Yeshua this one is a king this one is behold and this is Yeshua's name this is one of the reasons why I reject every other form of Yeshua's name because we learn in Philippine we're going to go look at it Philippians I should go to chapter two. And you guys know this, but it, uh, I want you to understand the impact of it. Every tongue shall confess that he, Yeshua HaMashiach, is Yahweh to the glory of Elohim, his father. All right. Just for your edification alone, we may have talked about it before, but review is always good. God tells us things over and over again, doesn't he? Yes. Philippians chapter 2 on the right hand side is the Aramaic that word right there who knows what that is yeah Maria, that is this word. On the right side, I'm looking at Aramaic, which is our source text for our New Testament. And on the left side, I'm looking at Hebrew, translated from the Aramaic. The point being is Aramaic is the only language that has a direct equivalent to the name Yahweh, and it is Maria. All right. The Aramaic people decided they, they, they may have had sort of a replacement idea about not writing the whole name in, in, uh, in Aramaic. So they, they sort of took Mar, which means master, Lord, and the Yod, and the, the Aleph for Elohim, and made a word that to them means the four-letter name and that alone. And you, if you study the Aramaic scriptures long enough, you will see that that is how it is used exclusively, it's as his name. And most scholars agree that Maria is the equivalent of the four-letter name. All right? And the reason I'm hammering on that is because in this verse, Yeshua HaMashiach is Yahweh. All right? We've gone over it before. If you go to the book of Acts. Chapter two. I don't think it's been too entirely long that we looked at it. Verse 36. Peter, preaching the first gospel message, says, after he concludes the matter, therefore, let all of Israel know assuredly that Elohim, God, has made this very Yeshua that he described as a man, the son of God, risen from the dead, whom you have executed, 
God has made him both Yahweh and Mashiach. Everybody got that? Yes. Yes. Now consider our verse in, in the, the Song of Moshe. In Shemot. I'm sorry. Shemot. <laughs> chapter 15. And he will be for me, Yeshua. Yah will be Yeshua. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it in the context of this messenger that we've already established is the messenger of God, that messenger becomes Yeshua because that messenger is later revealed to us as Davar Yahweh. Remember that? Yes. In 1 Samuel 3, verse 21, I believe it is. Yahweh appeared again to Shmuel as Devar Yahweh. And that's how he appears to all the prophets as the word of Yahweh. Devar Yahweh. And this is saying he will become Yeshua. So there are people out there in the Messianic community especially, and that's the messy form of it, who call him Yahushua. Yahoshua, Yahuahuashua. I've heard all manner of ridiculous things. Oh, those weird spellings. Yeah. Bizarre. And, and very few of them rooted in scripture. And, and if they are rooted in scripture, they're just misuses of scripture. Whereas you're going to see, that's one of the reasons I did this translation is because you can clearly see where Yeshua's name is embedded in the word. Mm -hmm. Do you see that? Yes. I added this H only to tell you that it is not his name in this sense. It's the noun salvation. All right. There are other forms of it where you will see that I've actually put the word salvation here with a capital S. But when it is clearly talking or alluding to Messiah, Yeshua, I've done this. That's why I hope, I hope this gets in Jewish hands and they see it. And uh, I hope it stays in your heads <laughs> how very rooted in Messiah these scriptures are and how his name is encoded in this song of salvation. Everybody got me? Yes. Yeah, it continues to be the theme that we, you, you can't unsee these things that, that the rock is revealing. You're looking at the Hebrew and just getting this deeper understanding, this insight. You can't can't unsee it at this point. That's right. This verse here should be a standalone verse. In other words, it should be enough to convince anyone, Jewish, Christian, or otherwise, who Yeshua is. It says it so clearly. Mm -hmm. even, in, even in the English, it says it so clearly, but especially when you sit in the Hebrew. But you don't have to understand the Hebrew. All you got to see is he has become my Yeshua, and you got to understand what his name is, I guess. But once you understand that, it should be a standalone verse to say, this is who God is. That's right. Well, it, yeah, and I'm glad you said that because there's another verse that's on the heels of this that actually shores it up even more. Mm -hmm. uh, he says, this is my Elohim. I will glorify him, my father's Elohim, and I will exalt him. Now look, the full name, Ish Milchama, Yahweh. Verse 3, 
Ish Milchama, a man. He looked like a man. <laughs> That's awesome. That messenger that had come out of that pillar and moved around was a, a, a looked like men because men were made in God's image. And God projected himself in that messenger in the form of his word embodied in that messenger's body that looked like a human being. Mm -hmm. All right. And so when it says man, he will be Yeshua and he's going to be a man of war. Eventually this is, this is another prophecy about Yeshua coming at the end. And the prophets say that that's not Daniel saying it. That's the prophet saying it. Let's just go look. Who is this that comes from Edom with crimson garments from Boltzrah? This that is glorious in his apparel, stately in greatness of his strength. I'm in Isaiah 61, dear. I'm sorry, 63. Why is your apparel red and your garments like the, the, his that treads in the wine vat? I have tread the wine press alone, and of, my, of the peoples there was no man with me. Yes, I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. And their lifeblood is dashed against my garments, and I have stained all my raiment for the day of vengeance. Y'all remember the significance of that, don't you? Mm -hmm. That was in my heart, and my year of redemption are come. And I looked, and there was none to help, and I beheld in astonishment, and there is none to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation unto me. Verse 5. That is a form of Yeshua's name. You see it? My own arm brought salvation. All right. That's why that's capitalized because it has Yeshua encoded into it in some way. It's not as clear. Does everybody understand that? Yes. Yes. So anytime you see salvation in this version with a capital S, you can find that word, and I guarantee it's going to have a form of Yeshua's name in it. All right. And my fury had upheld me, and I trod down the peoples in my anger, and I made them drunk with my fury. I poured out their lifeblood on the earth. I will make mentions of the compassions of Yahweh and the praises of Yahweh according to all that Yahweh has bestowed on us and the great goodness toward Beit Israel, which he has bestowed on them. For he said, surely they are my people. All right. Is there any doubt as to who this is talking about? That who's got his clothes stained in blood? No. No. It shouldn't be, especially when you go. No doubt. No doubt. Hikalut. Yeah. I saw a horse, and he who sat upon him was called Nevan Amiti, and Zedekai judges and makes war. Yahweh is a man of war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. He had many crowns, names written thereon, clothed in a vesture, dipped in blood. Doesn't that sound just like Isaiah 63 that we just read? He called his name, the Varha Elohim, the word of God. Armies were following him on white horses. He had in his out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword with which he should smite the nations. There's the blood stain. 
He will tread the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Elohim, Ochezakol, the mightiest of all. There it is. He mentioned the winepress over in Isaiah 63, didn't he? Mm -hmm. Sure did. All right. So in my mind, there is it, it is so clear to me who this is. And so it becomes very clear to me that that's who Moshe and Yisrael are singing about right after the Passover happened. They're standing on, on the other side of the sea, celebrating their victory and talking about Yeshua coming as a man of war. Again. All right. Any questions or comments about that before we move on? I was just going to say that that there is just pure prophecy. He's, he's, he's predicting what's going to happen. It's very clear. Yeah. Yeah. I just can't escape that. And in, in Isaiah, he says, I had to lift up my own arm. So this, mm -hmm. is, this is God talking about Yeshua because that is his own arm. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's his, like, his right hand. Exactly. That, that's why we have a Zeruah at the, at the Passover Seder. And that's not a coincidence. So, and, and our Jewish people know that Zeruah Yahweh is a messianic prophecy. But what they don't realize is how it fulfills, it paints a picture of Yeshua, I should say. Um, and so when our Jewish people invented the Zeruah after the temple was destroyed, after Yeshua had come, they invent this thing for the Passover Seder called the Zeruah to take the place of the lamb so that they no longer eat lamb. And we've talked about it. We imbibe the lamb of God by, by remembering the words that he said about our salvation and remembering the covenant that he, he made with us. And that's, we are partaking of the lamb and they are not. Are you with me? But they've created the custom that allows us to see the picture of Yeshua even more clearly at the Passover Seder. Even if we don't have a lamb, we have chicken every time. <laughs> are, you, are you getting the impact of that? Point that I'm trying to make? All right. <clears throat> Paro's chariots and his army has he cast into the sea, and his chosen captains are sunk in Yamsuf. The deeps cover them. I want to reiterate, this was not three feet of water like I've seen on some documentaries. <laughs> they went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Yahweh, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O Yahweh, dashes in pieces the enemy. Right hand, Joe already said it. Yeshua sits at the right hand of God. The Messiah is known as God's mighty right arm. This is a messianic song. Very much so. Mm -hmm. In the greatness of your excellency, you overthrow them that rise up against you. You send forth your wrath. It consumes them as stubble. And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The floods stood upright as a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, so that's when he made the Yabasha. You remember that? He said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My lust shall be satisfied upon them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You did blow with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. Who is like unto you? And this, this everybody, we say it every week. 
who is like you among the gods? And that's little gods. Who is like unto you, glorious in Kodesh, awesome in praises, doing wonders. So I want to look at that just a little bit. Mi kamocha balim yewa. Mi kamocha, who is like unto you, ne'edar Kodesh. Nora, Ose Fele, Nora, Tehilo, awesome in praises, Ose Fele. That ought to ring a bell. Ring a bell for anybody? Fele. Uh, why do you ask my name, seeing it is my wonder? Lama ze Tishalishmi in Genesis chapter 32. Same question from this same being, this messenger, was being asked the same question. He asked him, what is your name? And I'm talking about Manoach in first, I'm sorry, in Judges 13, Manoach, Samson's daddy, this, this man visits Let's just go look at it. A man, I think we've looked at it when we studied Genesis already, but again, doesn't hurt. Manoah entreated Yahweh and said, I pray let the man of Elohim, whom you did sin, come to us. So let's back up a little bit. I want you to see. That's what his wife tells him. A man of God, a man of Elohim came unto me. And his countenance was like the Malach of Elohim. That's the same thing that this messenger was called last week when we read Shemot chapter 14. Exodus 14. Remember that? It was the Malach of Elohim. Messenger yeah, of God. Good. I never saw that before. All right. So she sees this messenger, she sees him as a man, that is that Metatron that the Jewish people call it, which basically means an instantiation, uh, uh, an extension of God in this human form that is a spirit being and not a human being, yet it can eat, it looks, it wears clothes, it, it, in it, by every account it's a man but glorified, Right? better than a man okay very terrible she says uh, let's look at that that is the end or in the middle of verse six Nora me'od hello Nora me'od didn't we just have that word also over in the song no. awesome in praises Nora tehilot All right, and so he entreated Yahweh. I want you to see the picture. Manoach is standing here talking to this being as if he were a man face to face, and it says he entreated Yahweh. Oh, he prayed. I'm sorry. He prayed. Let the man of Elohim, let the man of Elohim, whom you did sin. And so that guy comes. All right. The Malach Yahweh said, 
So it's the same messenger, messenger of God, messenger of Yahweh, same one, right? And Manoach said unto, this is the one I was thinking of, Manoach said unto the Malach Yahweh, he's standing there talking to him, I pray let us detain you that we may make ready a kid for you. He wanted to do a sacrifice of a goat. And the Malach Yahweh said unto Manoach, though you detain me, I will not eat of the bread. If you will make ready a burnt offering, you must offer it to Yahweh, for Manoach knew not that he was the Malach Yahweh. So he's standing there talking to him and didn't realize who he was talking to. And then he says, what is your name? And the Malach said, why do you, same answer, same question that he asked Jacob over in Genesis chapter 32. Lama ze tishalishmi ki feli. It is my wonder. All right. Lama ze tishalishmi ki feli. Right there. Pay good attention how that's spelled. So when we go back, you will see it in Exodus 14. Okay. Everybody got a good look at it? Yes. Feli. Yes. I got to sign it again. What I'm going to do is open another version of this so I can keep it open. All right. Awesome in praises, doing wonders. Ose fele. In the verse 11. You see how similar it is? What's the difference? No yod. No yod on the end, and that's because it means my wonder. Doing wonders. Doing a wonder. All right? And he called his <laughs> name my wonder. It's also neat that it's not plural. Yeah. Kind of like fruit of the spirit. But my wonder, you know, yeah, it can be anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like fruit spirits, not just anything, but you know. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, that, that kind of shows you the unity of, of God in the expression of, of himself in this being, that it's not a separate person. It's as if his God himself is standing there. And that's the same thing with Yeshua. Yeshua is not a separate person. He's an extension of his father. They were perpetually connected. The only time they were separated is when he went into Sheol. All right? Yeah, so, I like that. So, um, who is like unto you, O Yahweh, among the gods? Who is like unto you, glorious and Kodesh, awesome in praise, is doing wonders? God had just conquered all of the known gods of the day, all of the known deities, all the major, major deities of the day, had, all, had just been conquered, including Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh viewed himself and called himself a deity, a god, a son of Ra, the sun god. The sun cult 
still runs the world today. Most people just don't know it. And it's tricky for us to try to express that without sounding like other wingnuts out there that are overdoing it, you know, and looking for a demon under behind every rock and, uh, you know, every person is a demon and every, every Christian is condemned because he worships the sun. I'm not saying that, but the sun cult is indeed part of Christianity and, but innocent believers are oblivious to it. They don't realize it. We've, we, I think we said it last week. They follow Constantine. They don't follow Yeshua. They're following the popes. Okay. And that's a sad thing. And the, the, my desire is to wake them up somehow, you know, um, so, but God is mighty among the gods. And I just read it somewhere in doing, in doing the website, the, uh, the Brit this week, where Shaul says, you know, that there are many gods out there. We just happen to worship the right one, the one that is powerful above all. And so, Yes, there is only one God, and his name is Yahweh, but there are other deities out there, and they are the fallen angels who have made themselves deities and, and have brainwashed men. What you got, Joe? Since we're on this subject, would you talk a little bit about what we see in our, uh, I think it's in the Psalms and our daily prayers, where it says, um, I said all of you are... Um, you are the gods. Yes, but you shall you shall fall like men. Yeah. We we expand on that just a bit and and yep. what what he actually means because I take the impression that he's trying to say that you perceive yourselves to be gods is what I perceive. Uh, I thought it was Tuesdays. Is it Tuesdays or Thursdays, Taylor, that it's in? Let me help look. Um, Maybe it's Thursday. Let's see, today's day five. We did we did Tehillah five today. I'm trying to think. Well, I did it. 48, 82, 94. What did I do at noon? 80, 81. It's 82. It's 82? Is that where I work? Yeah. Uh, I have said you are angels and all of you are sons of the Most High, nevertheless. There it is. Verse 6. I have said you are gods. And Yeshua explained that to a degree. I just have to find it. If someone wants to point me in the right direction, we'll go look at it. So <clears throat> Yeshua, when he claimed equality with God, they mocked him and basically accused him of blasphemy. And Yeshua quoted this Psalm and said, well, how do you explain the fact that you are God's? God tells you, you are God. All right. What that means, you could say here, 
that it's you are mighty. All right. But what I think it's alluding to is man sets himself up as his own God. Are you with me? Yeah, that's that's kind of the illusion that I have. When I every time I read this, I set that up or, or I, I picture that in my mind is men set themselves up to be like i'm god i'm in charge yeah and I was, I was hoping that my my interpretation wasn't too far off of yours right so god is calling god is saying to them in this sentence it's god speaking and he says i have said you are gods all right elohim atem you can't you can't change that. Now, what you could say is Elohim can mean mighty ones. And that's why it sounds like the version that Deanne read, it said angels, which is kind of what that would mean. But isn't an angel a bit of a deity, at least compared to human beings? Especially yeah. if you worship it, then it becomes a deity, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So in my opinion, this is sort of saying that, 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 uh, you know, you, you're putting yourself in a station you ought not be in. Is kind of what I'm thinking. All right. Um, but the way that Yeshua used it, I want to look at that. Did anybody find it? I think DM posted it, John 10, 34. Okay, let's go look at that. I think I know where you're going. When I read that during the week, that's what it, it seems like it's saying to you. See, they blamed Yeshua for blasphemy. And they said to him, for while you are only a man, you make yourself Elohim. All right. Mm-hmm. So let, what I want to remind you of is what Yeshua had said to them. It was Hanukkah. Hanukkah was about the first fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy, the fourth king coming and sacking Jerusalem and committing the abomination of desolation. All right. So that's what Hanukkah was. Antiochus Epiphanes came in and committed an abomination of desolation. He, he sacrificed a pig on the altar, erected a statue of Zeus in the holy place, and stood there and called himself God. All right, so let's see if the concept of Psalm 82 that we just read is in what Yeshua said. How long do you vex our soul with uncertainty? If you are the Mashiach, tell us openly. And Yeshua said to them, I have told you, but you do not trust. The works which I do in the name of Avi, my father, they testify of me. But you do not trust because you are not of my sheep, just as I told you. My own sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give to them olam, eternal life, and they will never perish. And no man will snatch them from my hands, for Avi, who gave them to me, is greater than all. And no man can, man can snatch anything from my father's hand. And this is where it, it, it tripped him. I and Avi are unified. Aniva Avi Echad. We are unified. We are one. 
And the Udim took up stones to stone him, and he said, I have shown you many good works from my father, Avi, for which one of them do you stone me? The Udim said to him, it is not because of good works that we stone you, because you blaspheme. So Yeshua equated himself to the Father, which he has every right to do, because he extended forth and proceeded, came out of his Father. He just said that two chapters before in John 8, 42. I proceeded forth and came out of my Father. So he's been picking at this scab of theirs for a long time now, and now they're finally done, <clears throat> and they're picking up stones to stone him for blasphemy. For while you are only a man, you make yourself Elohim. And Yeshua said to them, is not written in your Torah, I said, you are Elohim. So Yeshua calls the Psalms the Torah. All right? So he's referring back to that Psalm that we just read. Aniamarti Elohim Aten. You are gods. If he called them gods because the Devarha Elohim was with them and the scripture cannot be broken, why to the one whom Ha'av consecrated to send into the world that you say you blaspheme just because I said to you, I am the son of God. So Yeshua didn't call himself God. He said, I and my father are one. And he declared, I am the son of God. That's what he meant by saying, I and my father are one. I proceeded forth and came out of my father. But what he says here, he called them gods because the word of God was with them. So they are gods. They are rulers in the earth. What did God say to Israel? What did he say to Israel when he brought them into his covenant? You are a kingdom of priests, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they're supposed to be rulers in the earth. They're supposed to be ruling the earth on his behalf and enforcing the word in the world. But the, our Jewish people stopped doing that back during the time of the Pharisees and started enforcing their own words, didn't they? Yeah. So... That's why he called them gods. He comes out and says it. So can we say this? Can we say that the, and again, learning the language, the word Elohim, yes, means God, and it means mighty, and it means whatever. So we are to be mighty in the land. We're to be mighty people. Not to say that we are gods and we're supernatural. And like Creflo Dollar says, he preaches that we're all little gods. Right. You know, with the power to say that's not what it's saying. It's saying that we are to be mighty because of the rook within us. Yeah, we are, we are supposed to be similar to Yeshua in that we represent him in the earth. What you got, Deanne? <laughs> I'm like throwing my hand, raising my hand, lowering my hand, raising my hand. Um, so I had a thought. Um, we are resurrected with Messiah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... This is kind of a future tense thing, too. And I, I think I remember hearing when I was, you know, early days when I was a baby, uh, hearing that the word little Christ in, in what is Christ, it's, it's an anointed one. So we're supposed to be little anointed ones doing the work, um, sharing the gospel. So in a way, if the word is in us, we kind of, not our gods, but little anointed ones. We are little anointed ones. That's why we call ourselves Meshiachim, because that's what it means. And so, yes, it, it, it is supposed to be that we are establishing the kingdom of God on earth. Absolutely. 
And because they weren't following the word of God, Yeshua told the Pharisees, you know, you want to kill me just because I said I'm the son of God? <laughs> well, and then just that alone, I mean, they seem to base a lot of things off, well, sorry, I say they, at the time and how they grew up this fence and and how probably easy it just became to put another slat on the, the rails. Um it was probably easy just to just say, okay, we're going to do this now and just assume that it was okay with everybody. Assume that they were going to tell God what to do. Assume that this was going to be the way it was. And, you know, we're seeing revisit, uh, revisits of that all through history. And, you know, we're seeing one now. So it's kind of like, okay, are we just going to the slaughter or, or what? So now John 10 just makes everything just a little bit more dynamic for me. Absolutely. Albert, what you got? Um, so when we were initially looking for the um the correct t- uh to heal him that um referenced uh us being gods or little gods, um I accidentally found another um to heal him that kind of touched on the same thing to heal ninety seven. In verse seven it says, Ashamed of all they that serve graven images that boast themselves of things of not bow down to him, all you gods. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of the same. It it kind of fits the same. The conversation we just had, you know, Joe, me and and Deanne just had, because if you, a graven image is anything that you form, right? Or make up to be, your item of idolatry, your your hook, your the thing mm-hmm. that you cherish more than the word of God, right? right. Um, so doctrine can be idolatry. And that's what Yeshua was trying to tell our Jewish people is you've strayed off the path and you you follow the commandments of men and you subvert the word of God by it. And unfortunately, that is a spirit that rules this world. And so we are, you know, we are tiny uh, in regard to our our trying to be as pure as possible in in worshiping God and a plain interpretation of the scriptures that is is homogenous from Genesis to Revelation versus all this mix, match, patchwork, quilty looking stuff. You know, I I believe in a uniform faith and one one. Uh, one way, you know, not any way to God. And so I think that people who exercise authority over the word of God make themselves God. Mm-hmm. And that's why they want to kill Yeshua or anybody that comes along and says, you're not God, Yeshua is. You're not, yeah. you're not the, the, the arbiter of my faith, Yeshua is. They want to kill us. I've been, I, I've been, Host, you know, spoken to with hostility by believers on Facebook and in and in public conversations, far more than I have unbelievers. <laughs> that's that's really really sad. Like for real, it's truth. That's a shame, man. Um, well, it's crazy. That. Like how you you have a. a uh, entire groups of people who have been exposed to the word yeah. sitting up out here behaving worse than people who are not in the word. 
Yeah. You know what I'm saying? People who have not been exposed to it. That's sad. Yeah, you it's have... a dangerous thing. That's sad. When you yeah. know the truth, you 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 are you have the responsibility to adhere to the truth. And when yeah. you operate in a spirit that's anything other than Messiah, you it's almost like you you're almost they're definitely following in the footsteps of Hasatan, but you're almost like Hasatan. You're perverting the word of God. You, you're exactly. doing it. You've exposed, been exposed to it. <clears throat> and you, that's crazy. Like, I, well, and, I, and I'm not saying all that, like, I'm, I didn't live the perfect life. I mean, you know, I'm not, but that's just, that's crazy, though. Well, you know, the difference, I think, is, is that we are, are at least striving to fix it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Whereas I think a lot of people are content to uh, to be lazy, <laughs> to, to, to either be lazy or to just promote their own ideas about the scriptures without actually doing any work to dig out the truth. They just they yeah. just either parrot what they've been told, or I, I you know I've had I had an in, encounter this week or last week I can't remember with a person who is a pretty popular little self-proclaimed preacher on Facebook. And uh, he, was at, he was at least a little bit more kind about it than, than the, the Christian who did it about a month ago was, uh, who was a very popular self-proclaimed preacher on Facebook. <laughs> uh, he was, this, this last one was a little more kind about it but he, his mind is, it's, it's as if he, he understands things in pieces and parts. He's, he, he is at least a Sabbath keeper. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but he's incapable of seeing things from any other perspective other than the conclusions he's already drawn. Now, some people might think that about me. However, I walk through all of those examinations and I've told, I've, I tell people that. I used to think that, you know, I considered that. It's not like I'm just turning it off altogether, and and it's not like I turned him off. I went and looked at what he said to try to gauge whether or not it's true. Did I miss it? You know, uh, but you don't get that from a lot of people. You get just this is how it is, and I'm the arbiter over the truth, and this is the way it's going to be. You know, whereas we're all supposed to be correctable and teachable. Right. That's, that, that's pride filled fleshly. You know. That, that's basically what that, that speaks of. And you see that in a lot of people. Yep. A lot of people. And, and that kind of goes to, to what uh, Joe, Joe said something in particular earlier about um, not, not being able to, well, seeing it for what it is. And, and I was thinking as Joe was saying that the only thing that'll stop you from seeing it, what it is, seeing it for what it is, is your flesh and your pride. Because mm-hmm. it's so much lack of humility out there. Don't nobody want to admit when even well, when, you, let me say this, when you show them something that's irrefutable, they don't want they don't want to admit it because pride and flesh won't allow them to. Uh, Albert, let me say this, and y'all know the story about why I'm here and how I got here. But let me just say this: it was easy as I sort of come into these truths and learning these things. It was easy for me to attack Daniel and to attack some of y'all because I don't know y'all, right? So whenever you bring, what I'm saying is when you, you come to these things and you, and people on the outside start attacking you, it's going to happen, right? But I've noticed that whenever these things become prevalent in your life, my gosh, family, 
close friends have turned their back on me. Like, and, and I say it was easy in those days for me to, to lash out at y'all because y'all were the only, uh, y- y'all were the only source of this information, particularly Daniel, Daniel and I, we've had our history. People know this. Um, but I didn't know him. He wasn't a close friend or a family member at that time. So it's, you can see how that's easy for someone who doesn't know someone to attack someone for their beliefs. But once mm-hmm. you have close family and close friends shut you out of their lives and mm-hmm. it just it makes you like, wow, what in the world is going on? Because who you know, most of them claim faith in Messiah. Yes, exactly. You know, you know I'm going with that, man. But golly, I mean it threatens them. It does. It does. But we be hated for his sake. And so if you're not hated, you're doing something wrong, probably. Right. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword to di- divide. And then he gives all the relationships that you find in the house. Father against son, mother against daughter, brother against sister. I didn't come to bring peace, but to divide households. And I, you know, I go through that a lot where, where the isolation, because, you know, I, you know, a lot of people have turned their back on me. And, and a big part of that is because I walk a different walk and don't do the things they do and don't want to, you know, and, and uh, I'm not a real preachy guy when I'm around casually around people, I don't bring up my stuff, you know, but I don't have to. I'm just standing there and they just they just walk away. You know, at family reunions, I can walk up to a crowd of people and 15 seconds later, they all all of them will turn around and walk away. I didn't do nothing. <laughs> I tested it one day at a family reunion. It was every time, every single time I walked up to a crowd of people talking, they dispersed. <laughs> you know, and and it's and it's not because I'm preaching at them, because I don't do that. You know, I do it online because I'm trying to reach people, but I don't do it to them. You know, know. yeah, they know what I believe. Now you know. All right. Sometimes, and I think the closer you are to somebody, the more threatened or fearful you are if they go off in a different direction. Yeah. You don't understand. Yep. All right, back to Shemot. Then were the chiefs of the Dome affrighted, the mighty men of Moab. Trembling takes hold upon them. All the inhabitants of Kenaan are melted away. Terror and dread falls upon them. By the greatness of your arm, they are as still as a stone. Till your people pass over, O Yahweh, till the people pass over that you have gotten. You bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance. That becomes a theme in the Torah the mountain of your inheritance, the place where God would build the temple, the city of Jerusalem, all right? The place, O Yahweh, which you have made for for you to dwell in, in the Mikdash, the holy place, O Yahweh, which your hands have established. That's past tense. Is it standing yet? In the context of this verse in Israeli history, is that place... A house? No. no. In this context, no. No, it's not. But it says God has already established it. When did he do that? 
foundation of the world. In the beginning. All right. And so Jewish tradition is that the, the, the Holy of Holies sits over the place where Isaac was bound and where Isaac got up from the dead, basically, because we looked at this just a couple of weeks ago in Hebrews chapter 11. I think it was last week we looked at it, maybe, or maybe the week before that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, Abraham beheld a city whose builder and maker was God. Remember that? Oh, yes. It was already there spiritually. That mountain was already destined to be the throne of God on earth. It was already, it's already established. All right. And so the, he brought this nation together, Israel, and he's about to tell them in a few chapters, you are a kingdom of priests or a royal priesthood, if you will. All right. So, but what the point that I'm making is this is their destination. This is why they're going where they're going. This is the purpose of all their warfare. They are going to fight the Canaani. They are going to fight Edom and Moab. They do Edom and Moab first. You're going to find when we get to the book of Numbers again. <laughs> you're going to find they hit Edom and Moab first, just like they do here. And then they're going to hit Canaan. And the purpose of all of that is to bring them to the mountain which God has already established in order to make God's kingdom on earth. So Israel is singing about their destination. They know it. At least they know it momentarily by the spirit that has given them all this one song to sing all at once. Yes. Right? And they forget what their destination is. And we tend to do that at times too. We forget what our destination is, and our destination is this, the kingdom of God, God dwelling on earth. That's the purpose of our life. Anybody ever ask you what is the meaning of life, the purpose of life? Tell them that. The purpose of life is that we establish his kingdom on earth right now. That's what it is. Nothing else matters. All right? And then it says, Yahweh shall reign forever and ever. That kind of, kind of backs up what I just said, doesn't it? For the horses of Paro went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea, and Yahweh brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but B'nai Yisrael walked on dry land in the midst of the sea. I'm trying to find where that is. That is verse... 19. Oh. No, it's 18, I think. Reading English. Halachu bayabasha betochayam. No, it's 19. Okay. All right. Oh. So they all sang that song, and then here is Miriam. And Miriam the Neviah, God calls her a prophetess. She is a prophet. The sister of Aaron took a timbrel in her hand. That's similar to what we would call a tambourine. And all the women out went out after her with timbrels and with dances. And Miriam sang unto them, Sing to Yahweh, for he is highly exalted. The horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. Sing unto 
All right. Uh, let's look. So she just basically took the verse from up at the beginning of the song and sang it again. All right. What you got, Joe? Well, forgive me for maybe bring up another rabbit trail, but can you contrast the idea of God calling Miriam here a prophetess versus the concept that we hear about women are not to be, I'm going to use the word loosely, pastors or preachers or, or like we see in, uh, I forget, it was Paul's writings, that the women should be silent. Uh, in other words, not to have a, a role of leadership in the congregation, but yet a prophetess here, I would think would have a pretty prominent role in the leadership of a congregation. So how, how would you contrast those two ideas? Because she can't lead men who are anointed to lead. She can't step over with her authority out of the role that God has called her to. And men were, cre were created as responsible for the leadership of the household and of the congregation. So that responsibility falls on men. So if, if, the, if the woman steps up and does the man's job and then boogers it up, it's still the man's fault because he was supposed to be the leader so it's not that they can't speak it's not that they clearly they have the spirit of god in them because that's what a prophet is right and deborah was a judge wasn't she deborah was a judge absolutely and oh. the reason that deborah had to go to war was because there wasn't a man courageous enough to do it and, and, and that's the problem in the congregations today is most men have uh, relinquished the role to their women. And that, that's, that's, that's a problem in the congregations that I've seen for a long time. And uh, so it's, uh, it is proper for a woman to lead women. Did you notice that she led women in dance? Yes. Yes, she did. Oh, yeah the women she led the women she wasn't leading men no that's so and, awesome and so over in the brief Hadashah, shaul says women elder women turn around and instruct the younger women mm -hmm. all right so that's who women can teach that's who they're supposed to teach is other that's women and and it's not that men can't learn from anything that women say, but in order to keep order in the congregation and to keep authority boundaries in place, he said, women don't speak in the congregation because it just cr creates emotion and confusion. When you, mm -hmm. have, when you have someone stepping into the role that they're not supposed to stand in. Yes, it does. And it, it engenders pride. And it, it, unfortunately for women, it engenders the spirit of Jezebel in them. Yes, I was going to say that. Yes, it does. I mean, you did to Miriam too, which is why she <laughs> she got... she starts a rebellion. Yeah, she starts she rebellion did. because you know, didn't didn't God give me the spirit too? And that's where people go mm -hmm. wrong. Is yes, God gives them the spirit, and then they think they're all high and mighty, and they can they can kick the guy out whose whose role it is, you know. 
And so just because you have the spirit doesn't mean you're going to keep it. Right. And, and, and one of the main reasons why I ask this is I have people who try to drill me down so hard on my desire to keep Torah that they try to say, Do, don't you think women should just sit in church and, and shut up and be quiet? And I'm like, no, I don't think that at all. No. Because you're, you're taking some of these things out of context here. And, and that's the reason why I, I wanted to go on this trail since it, it was here. But I, I oh. want to be able to create that a lot better than what I have in the past. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that word for prophetess, uh, Nebiya, it's is kind of got the word bow in it. So what does a prophet do? It, he comes and he brings the word of God. And what she did was she repeated what the head of the, the song was. Exactly. And she reconfirmed the word. Oh, slam dunk. She sure did. <laughs> That's but right. Isn't that also what, what Miriam, the son of the, the mother of Yeshua, did? And awesome. Yeah. Did you notice that Miriam basically sang the song of Hannah? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like Miriam just went off the cuff and invented her own words. She was singing the song of Hannah, who was another woman who was granted a child. Mm. So the reason I came here to Micheline Proverbs 31 is the next time someone says, that, aren't you favorable about keeping women quiet and seated and subjugated and, and diminished and all that stuff? Right. We say this to our women every week. I sing it as a song mm -hmm. to my wife every week. Right. Lauding her for all of the things she does. You know, and, and I hope that my wife knows that when I'm singing this, I understand it. And 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 I'm agreeing with it. <laughs> you know. Uh, and so um it's not that women don't have a place, it's that they do have a place, but men. And women put it out of order sometimes. Yeah. And people, prideful women, just don't want to admit that they shouldn't teach men. They want to tell men how, to, how the cow ate the cabbage. And the problem is we're not even talking about cabbage. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that all my life. Cow <laughs> ate the cabbage. No, I, I hear that. No, what he... You just said, I hear that all the time. I always hear, it always comes from women. I told so-and-so how the cow ate the cabbage. It's mm -hmm. always a woman saying that phrase. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you got something, Dan? Or did you say it already? Dan? I said it already. I said I'd never heard that before in all my days. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right. We left off at the end of Miriam singing, all right, and Moshe led Israel onward from Yamsuf, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were Marah. That's what Marah means. Therefore, the name of it is called Marah. What you got, Joe? Just want to ask. Uh, we just looked at it a while ago. Maria and Mara are very close. Is there any relationship? No. Okay. I mean, maybe on a on a deeper level, possibly, but uh, the place where it will be seen is what Maria means. 
but this one is mar ah it's feminine bitterness mara all right and the people murmured against moshe saying what shall we drink and he cried unto yava and yava showed him a tree and he cast it into the waters and the waters were made sweet there he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And he said, if you will diligently hearken to the voice of Yahweh your Elohim, and will do all do, do that which is right in his eyes, and will give ear unto his mitzvot, and keep all his chukot, his commandments and his statutes, unexplained statutes, I will put none of the diseases upon you, which I have put upon Mitzrayim, for I am Yava Wofecha, Yava, your healer, the one who heals you. What you got, Joe? Oh, my hand shouldn't be up. Okay, I lowered it. Sorry. So, as I was reading that, I was reminded of uh, when our daughter was about 18 months old somewhere along in there, less than two years old, I'll put it that way. And we were in New Orleans and she had been dehydrating and getting sick for three or four days and had gotten to the point where late at night, about 10 o'clock at night, she wasn't moving and she was pale and almost gray looking and uh, listless, would not move. And we didn't know what was wrong with her. And uh, <clears throat> we had prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. We went through a lot in New Orleans that would curl some people's toe, toes, if I told you. And uh, um, we've been praying and praying and begging and begging. And, and I didn't have insurance. We didn't have anything. Any, we certainly didn't have any money at the time. And uh, we were in a strange city and didn't even know where a hospital was, for one thing. And uh, we, uh, Melanie left the room to go get a phone book and talk to people and try to find where we should take Shelby to. And I was desperate and I got down on my knees beside her bed and uh, began to pray. And I flipped open the scriptures and it landed on the story of David, David, and Goliath. And I remember reading about five smooth stones that David, David, went and picked up out of the Jordan River, five smooth stones. And I understood from that uh, <clears throat> that the Jordan River represents life, and stones have been associated with bread, and, of course, David was going to use him as a weapon. And his giant was a physical giant that he could see, but mine was a sick child. And there were some other things that went through my mind. This is Shelby's, what, 30-something years old now. This was 30 years ago, almost exactly, a little more than 30 years ago. And uh, uh, I looked for five scriptures and I could think of them. I just, you know, this was before Go-Go Gadget. This was before digital Bibles. And uh, 
I just, but this was one of the scriptures. This was the first one that I prayed over her. Right here. Those verses right there. I am the Lord at the time is what I knew that to be your healer. Yahweh And I had other scriptures that came along talking about healing. But this one was the one that stood out the most to me. And I prayed and I said, I trust you. You're our healer. And Melanie came back in the room after I finished praying. And she was in tears and is scared to death. And of course, Shelby is not my biological daughter. And uh, I said, I looked her in the eyes and I said, um, she's not my flesh and blood, but she, she's yours. And so I consider her mine and I would never do anything to harm her. And I had a buddy named Todd Roy who had just two years before in the Navy, when I refused to take the Navy's flu shot said, what are you going to do when you have children? And it, I was tested here. And I said, this is what I've done. And I told Melanie all the things and she had it all. She heard all five verses about healing you know, the five smooth stones, the five verses about healing and my, me praying and feeling like God was going to do something. And, but when she came back in, she said, they said, we've waited too late. She's in danger. We have to take her in now. They got to put her on fluids. And, uh, and I said, okay, but let's wait. Let's give God one more chance. And I said, if she throws up one more time, cause she'd been throwing up for days, wouldn't hold anything down, wouldn't drink water, wouldn't, wouldn't eat, wouldn't do anything. I said, if she throws up one more time, we'll be out the door, I promise. And we went to sleep. Shelby got up at two in the morning and drank a little water and went back to sleep. I went to work at four in the morning. I get back at about four in the evening, five in the evening, and Shelby is buzzing around the room, just bouncing off the walls and had a bag of Cheetos, big old cheese <laughs> buzz. Just, I mean, just a totally and completely different child in a, in a matter of 12 hours. And, and, uh, and it was because I trusted this right here. Am I saying that God does that every single time? No. What I am saying is we were desperate. We didn't have any money. Melanie was scared to death. And we didn't have to do what, the, what, what mankind was telling us we had to do. And, and, and we've, we've gone through a lot like that, okay? And we have experienced healings in our past. And uh, would to God that we would experience them again because I, I pray for Melanie's healing every single day and, and people in our congregation. And why God holds his hand, I don't know. Um, but I'm willing to bet that everybody here believes this. Yahweh Rofecha, Yahweh your healer. Even if he uses doctors, he's the one that does it. Yeah, I'm looking at, at the word Rofeka, and I'm seeing the word Rofe in there, even in the English, which means doctor, if I'm not mistaken. It does. So. All right. Questions or comments? And they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they, were, they encamped there by the waters. Wells. 
12 worlds and seven palm trees. 12 and 70. 12 and 70. 12 sons, 12 shlichim, 70 elders. Wow. Thinking, oh, wow, that's totally cool. That has something to do with authority and with the establishment of God's kingdom. I don't know know why it's mentioned here, but it's where eyes. A a note. I was about. That's what I was going back. (laughs) A note. Eyes. Like on that creature. Mm Mm-hmm. So I see it now, but I didn't understand what the what the top on there. But I see the word uh, "ein." I see that now. Ein with a plural and that. That just makes and it's feminine it's the creature that's us exactly so this is a this verse has always made me curious because of the the 12 uh tamarin is palm trees tamar is the woman who bore uh parrots who is the grandfather of yeshua Mm. Um, there's just a lot in it. An Aiel is one of the sacrifices, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it, we could we could dig in it a little bit, but yeah, the thing that I wanted to point out is 12 and 70 has something to do with authority. And it's by water. So just keep that in mind as we go forward because chapter, we're, whoops, this says chapter. Yeah, we're in 15, right? Yeah. All right. We're about to go into 16. And what I don't want you to do is just because we're changing chapters is to forget this. All right. Because something huge, who knows what's huge before I click there, who knows what happens that's huge in chapter 16 without looking. Is that where Moshe uh, puts a step in the room water comes out? No. Manna from heaven. Ah. Establishment of God's authority. The beginning of the obedience of Israel. The fixing of the Sabbath. Mm. All right. They left Elim and went into the wilderness of Sin which is between Elim and Sinai. So it might be time for a map again. On the 15th day of the second Chodesh, after their departing out of the land of Mitzrayim, and the whole assembly of B'nai Israel murmured against Moshe and against Aaron in the wilderness. Where's that murmured word again? Why that has been going on all week with this, even with our Parsha. It's not a good word. Yeah, uh, that's the word for murmur. Kol adat bnei Yisrael al Moshe ve'al Aaron v'midbar. The whole congregation murmured, complained, all at once. And they ain't gone, but it's just a little bit. They just, they just drank magic water. <laughs> yeah. 
What, Joe? I'm just going to ask, why is you have highlighted the word over here, the word for murmured? Why is that in parentheses? This one? Yeah, in the word you have highlighted right now? Because, see it's how this one has a yod instead of a vav? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So the, the ancient Masoretic rabbis, sages, put the, the known spelling in it so people would know how to say it. Because oh. this is a spelling variant. So it's worth looking at the variant. I'm glad you brought that up. Yelinu. All right. So it, it replaced a yod with a vav. Okay. Oh, I see that. Yeah, I see that. It replaced a hand with a nail. Oh, wow. Oh. All right. I, whether or not that means anything, I'm just. Uh. That word, uh, one of Miketam's songs is Ba'er Belin. Ba'er Yalin. Is, is this the root? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, in the morning or in, in the evening, there will be weeping. We reclining? Oh, it's weeping? Okay. There will be weeping in the evening, but rejoicing comes in the morning. But it is the same root. Oh, okay. Uh, is this is this word also in um, our four question song? Um, um, it might be. I gotta look it up. I'll look it up. It's it's been too long for me since I sang it. Um, so they murmur against Moshe and Aaron. Bami bar. You could also look at that. We know they're in the wilderness, right? It, they just told us it was in the wilderness. But what did I tell you about Bami bar? The word. How else can I look at that? If I were just casually reading and didn't have a vowels, what could I see? Medaber. Medaber. In speaking, they murmured by speaking, you could say. Oh, Shelly. Good job, Shelly. <laughs> All right. Bam medaber. Medaber. I am speaking. Bim daber. In speaking. So they murmured with their mouth is one way that you could look at this. And that's exactly what they did. They didn't, they may not have said it to Moshe and Aaron. They probably didn't, but they were saying it to each other. And that's usually how all that junk starts is by not talking to the leaders in a constructive way, talking to each other about the leaders. That's right. It's this stuff. All right. And B'nai Israel said unto them, Would that we had died by the hand of Yahweh in the land of Israel when we sat by the flesh pots when we did eat bread to the full, for you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole congregation with hunger. Didn't they just say that back a, a little while ago? Yeah, but there they used teeth. <laughs> 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 On Yaleen, there's no tooth in the middle of the word for Lashon. And now they're like got some teeth and tongue and they're just waggling it do you think that's what they were murmuring or that's what they actually said to Moshe? this is what they actually said they murmured to each other and it gave them courage to say this yeah yeah 
because the murmuring is passive aggressive, but at least that's right. <laughs> yeah, this this was this was just in your face at that point. Yeah. But it takes the murmuring. The murmuring builds up the courage and it, it sort of frames the conversation of what they're gonna say. Exactly. It creates the rebellion. Exactly. Okay. Then said Yahweh unto Moshe, Behold, I will cause bread to rain down from heaven for you. That's verse four. Hineni mamtir lachem, that means rain for you. Lechem min hashamayim, bread from heaven. And that's one of the things that Yeshua called himself. In, in previous times when they were complaining about water and whatever they were complaining about, Moshe went to Yahweh. Yeah. Here, it's almost like he answered them. He, got, he just went straight to it. Yep. He didn't wait for that. Yeah, it's in, in, God instigated the, the solution here. And, and remember what we just saw. He is, he's alluding to the authority of Israel. And then, and then we come here, and they're in the wilderness, and they're speaking and they're murmuring. And then God says, I will bring you bread from heaven. And of course, if you know Yeshua, then you understand lechem min hashemayim, it's him. Mm -hmm. Right? Bread from heaven? Yep. Yes. That's him. So this is a prophecy. Yeah. They couldn't see you, it. You talked about this recently. Yeah, we looked at it, and we may have to go back and look at it, but we did. We looked at the, because we looked at Matzot in Exodus 12, and we went and looked at where Yeshua said, I am the bread that came down from heaven, mm -hmm. right? All right. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. That's the first time I ever connected that. He said that, and that that was the man, that he's the bread that came down from heaven. That was the manna. Yeah. I mm -hmm. like the first time yeah. I saw that together. Excellent, because that, that's, that's kind of the point that I've been trying to make about that is Yeshua linked himself to this phrase right here. When he said, I am the bread from heaven, it wasn't a new idea. Yeah. It wasn't a new idea. It was a, it was a phrase directly out of the Torah. Mm -hmm. I am the bread that came down from heaven. Now look carefully at what the, this bread does, because if Yeshua is this bread, this is huge. All right. People shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. That tells me you want to partake of Yeshua every single day. And I don't know how many believers go through a day without eating their bread by reading his word in some form or fashion. I have provided for you guys through Abba's strength and mercy and provision a sedur that gives you enough bread to get you to midday. If you start your morning with prayers, that bread will get you through midday mm -hmm. and maybe beyond. But, you, you know, you eat three, five, seven times a day, the food for your body. But people are starving their souls. You know, and they were to go out and collect it every single day. So if that is Yeshua... I need him every day. 
there's an old Pentecostal song, I need thee every hour, <laughs> you know, and there's truth in that. You got to have, you got to partake of him on a regular basis. All right. And that partaking is mulling over his words and thinking about him and talking to him. Well, I typically eat once a day. <clears throat> so likewise in the morning, I have you're a long. You're prayer. a keto Bible guy, right? <laughs> no, 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 in the morning, in the morning, I, I, I do the whole daily prayers and the whole Amidah and everything all at once. I, I get my fill all at one time because I know I don't have time later on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm not trying to be, you know, Mr. Prayer Nazi here. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, we need a continuous supply of his word in us. That's right. You ain't, right. ain't nothing about that being a prayer Nazi. Ain't I nothing about that being a prayer Nazi. You, you mm-hmm. basically are repeating exactly what it says right there. Yep. You know what I'm saying? We're to partake of it every day. But what I'm saying, though, is, and the reason why I brought that up is as you were talking about what we need for our own bodily sustenance, mm-hmm. I feel like I only need to eat basically once a day natural food. So once a day before I start my day, it's in prayer and it's a longer prayer. So when I eat once a day, it's a big, huge meal. I eat a yeah. lot. <laughs> you yeah. know? And oh, so, I get it. I get it. Yeah. But that, that really resonates when you say we starve in our souls. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. By not partaking. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and I'll, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Sometimes all that I have time to do is just to do the prayers. You know, I, I do those faithfully. If I miss, then I'm either pulling over on the side of the road or, or, or turning off my radio and saying them in the car because I've memorized them. But I try to, I try to you know, I, I focus my mind and try to understand what I'm saying and not just echoing them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, I absolutely have to do a better job of that. I, yeah. I got to. That's that's pertinent. But but you know that's one reason that I wanted to do this website is because now you've got it on your phone. You can't yeah. use the excuse I can't lug four Bibles around that those all four volumes around everywhere <laughs> I go. Guess what? <laughs> you can have it on your phone and on your iPad and in your car and everywhere you go now. <laughs> yep. That's right. Oh, <laughs> do I just take your? Or- to be so weak that others have to pray for you but i believe that we everybody on this call we should be the ones that people come to asking for the prayer because we're the strong ones we're here all the time we're we're faithful we're we're digging deep we're seeking abba we are the warriors that's right that's right and you know and because of that we do more warfare yeah, we do. All right. Yeah. So, you know, I think I remember telling y'all, uh, I'm trying to forgive myself for being wounded because warfare wounds you. You know, uh, you know, before I, f- I felt defeated and weak and and useless, and I'm trying to forgive myself for it because it it, it, ain't, it ain't like I brought it on myself. You know, I didn't go out and provoke things. Yeah. You know, so. Uh, I, I, in a way, I guess I did. I stored the hornet's nest by trying to preach the truth, you know. Uh, but it's warfare, and Yahweh Ish Milchama, he is a man of war, 
And just like Deanne said, we are a little Elohims. We are little messianic ones. We are little anointed ones. We, we, are, we are people of warfare. Those who declare the, the good news are a great army, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a war. And, and soldiers got to eat. Soldiers got to recharge. Soldiers have to get their orders, if you will. And that's what this manna is representing. And well, daddy, so, yeah. More because you're not just a soldier no more. You are our, our general here on earth. <laughs> We're looking to you. Yeshua's the colonel. <laughs> you know he, he's ahead of me yet but yeah we look well he's, he's higher ranking he's, he's the he's the commander-in-chief <laughs> commander-in-chief but don't beat yourself up because you, you have a role and and we all look to you for that role so please don't beat yourself up anymore over that well i appreciate that okay uh, i will give them their everyday's portion to prove them whether they will walk in my Torah. So the bread of heaven, the purpose, so if Yeshua calls himself the bread of heaven and God says to partake of it every day, and in doing that, I'm going to prove them whether they will walk in my Torah or not. Can I then say that Yeshua is the test of whether or not we're going to walk in the Torah? Mm. I, I personally believe I can say that because if anyone says that he is his Talmud, let's go look at it. He, walks. he must walk his yeah. halacha. Yeah, I see that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yochanan Aleph, chapter 2, 1 John, chapter 2, verse 6. He who says, I am in him, ought himself also to walk his halakha. There are, this is why I don't want anybody to call me rabbi. This is why I won't call anybody on earth rabbi. It has nothing to do with disparaging our Jewish people. It has nothing to do with rebelling against the authority of the rabbis. It has everything to do with the fact that Yeshua is my rabbi, and I want to figure out what his halacha is, and only his word can give me his halacha, and that's the only halacha that I'm going to follow because I have to be in him. I have to follow his halacha, not some other rabbis. Uh, All right. I don't want you guys following my halacha, unless you agree that it is Yeshua's halakha. But I try to show you <laughs> that very thing. And Shaul said it. Follow me even as I follow Messiah. Right. And that ought to be the model of every teacher. And, you know, there's a, a new person on my Facebook page that I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to describe too much because I'm, I don't want to betray any trust or anything. But uh, who sort of misinterprets, I believe, what Yeshua said about do not call any man rabbi. That is a little tiny sentence that is plain to me. Matthew, what, 23, 18, I think it is. 
Do not call any person, any man, rabbi. Don't call it. Don't call him father. Don't call him rabbi. Well, you know, his the, the logic was, well, we have our daddies and we call our dads father. So are we supposed to stop calling our dads father just like we're supposed to stop calling men rabbis? How ridiculous! Yeah, that is ridiculous. That's ridiculous. It means don't put a man in the office of a father over you spiritually and don't put any man in the office of a rabbi over you spiritually. I'm your teacher. That's the that's what Yeshua said in that whole sentence. I'm your teacher. I'm your rabbi. I'm the one who's leading you. And this verse shores it up. So rabbis, if you don't know Judaism, every rabbi has his own halakha. That's why the Talmud is nine miles long it's true. and full of debate. Yeah. All right. Rabbi so-and-so says this, but Rabbi so-and-so says this, Rabbi so-and-so says this, but Rabbi so-and-so. Well, guess what? I don't need those rabbis. I got Yeshua. All right. That's right. So that's what the bread of heaven is trying to establish is Yeshua is the test of whether or not you're actually going to walk in the Torah. Oh my if you're goodness. following rabbis, you're not walking in the Torah. Now that makes sense, Yeshua is saying, you must eat my flesh. I am yeah. the heavenly bread that came down yeah. from heaven. Yeah. I yeah. just read that just, just yesterday, and that just goes with it. So, wow. Yeah, so, so we, have, we have Yeshua as the bread from heaven, and now let's look further into the purpose of the bread of heaven. The first thing that God said was, by that bread, I'll prove whether or not they're going to walk in my Torah. All right. And it shall come to pass on the sixth day that they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. All right. So that doesn't prove anything more about its purpose yet. Right. It's, this is a functional, practical thing that they had to do. Right. Moshe and Aaron said to all B'nai Yisrael at evening, then you shall know that Yahweh has brought you out of the land of Mitzrayim. And in the morning, then you shall see the kavod Yahweh. So that bread was the glory of Yahweh, which is none other than Yeshua. Wow. Uh, that caught my eye. So, yeah. Wow. All I can say is well. <laughs> and the reason that God is doing this is because he heard the murmuring against Yahweh. They murmured against Moshe and Aaron, but God heard it as murmuring against him. Because he instructed Aharon and Moshe to do these things. Exactly. They were the ones appointed to the role. Right. And what are we that you murmur against us? And Moshe said, this shall be when Yahweh shall give you in the evening flesh to eat and in the morning bread to the full. For that Yahweh hears your murmurings, which you murmur against him. And what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against Yahweh. And Moshe said unto Aaron, Say unto all the assembly of B'nai Yisrael, Come near before Yahweh, for he has heard your murmurings. And it came to pass, as Aaron spoke unto the whole assembly of B'nai Yisrael, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the kavod Yahweh appeared in the cloud. And Yahweh spoke unto Moshe, saying, I have heard... The murmurings of B'nai Israel speak unto them, saying, At dusk you shall eat flesh, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am Yahweh your Elohim. So if you are filled with bread, you will know that I am Yahweh. 
So we're still talking about the lechem from heaven, right? What you got, Joe? Uh, just a question is, we're talking about the, the, the giving of the manna, which I've always understood to be bread alone. But now we're talking, I, I never caught this before, about in the evening you shall eat flesh. So where did they get the flesh? Is that something that God gave as well? Or is it something yep. they just had in their flock? It's these quails that we're about to read about. Okay. And it came okay. to pass at dusk. Now, I want to look, this is important. Verse 13. So at evening, at dusk, the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the layer of dew was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, a fine scale-like thing, fine as the hoarfrost on the ground. So it was a little bit like small, light snow on the ground. And when B'nai Israel saw it, they said one to another, what is it? For they knew not that it was, what it was. And Moshe said unto them, it is the bread which Yahweh has given to you to eat. This is the thing. So here's more of the purpose. This is the thing which Yahweh has commanded. Gather it of every man according to his eating, an omer ahead. And we talked about this when we were back in Shemot chapter 12, Exodus 12. We came here and looked at an omer ahead. And we were in the middle of the omer. Do you remember that? Or maybe I did it on Shabbat. According oh, we to, huh? We talked about it. Yeah. According to the number of persons, you shall take it every man for them that are in his tent. And B'nai Yisrael did so and gathered some more, some less. When they did meet it with an omer, measure it out with an omer. He that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. And Moshe said unto them, let no man leave it until morning. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not. They left it until the morning, and it bred worms and rotted. And Moshe was wroth with them, and they gathered it morning by morning, every man according to his eating. And as the sun waxed hot, it melted, and it came to pass on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for each one. And they came and told Moshe, and he said to them, here it is. This is that which, was, which Yahweh has spoken. Tomorrow is a solemn rest, a consecrated Shabbat unto Yahweh. Bake that which you will bake, and see that which you will see, then all the remains lay over for you to be kept until the morning. This thing set the clock of the Sabbath. The bread of heaven, Yeshua, establishes the Sabbath. And when you look at Yeshua's life, Luke chapter 4, I believe, verse 16, or 6, verse 14, I think it's 4.16. Yeshua was in the synagogue on the Sabbath as his custom was. <laughs> Yeshua determines our Sabbath. What you got, Joe? All right, so now I'm pretty well thoroughly confused because um, we're talking about the quail earlier. Yeah. So okay, so let, let me give you some background here is that my understanding of this set of passages is that the manna was given, which is a bread, right? It's a bread from heaven. And after they got tired of eating the bread, they complained, and that's when the quail came. Now yeah. we're talking about at the very beginning of this thing and it's talking about they came at the uh, same time they came at the same time and so what, what, what am i missing here is that 
because later on I know but unless unless it's just a a Gentile version that I'm that I've got stuck in my mind still that later on they got tired of the bread and they were just like you're gonna eat quail basically to paraphrase it you're gonna eat quail to your sick of quail <laughs> you know um well let's let's get to that episode and then we'll measure it out but what i can say about this particular chapter is the quail is coming in the evening and the bread is coming in the morning so god was given both uh meat and bread and bread every single day every single day Except i never saw that either breakfast and supper every single day Except the manna came in the morning and the meat came in the afternoon at, at evening in evening yeah okay so if you go back up here, verse 12 is where I should have looked. If you go back up to verse 12, this is what I wanted to look at. Um, I got confused because I went to 13. Bain ha'arabayim tochlu vasar. At dusk, you shall eat meat. Okay. At dusk, you shall eat meat. The reason I'm bringing that up is this is a bird. Our translation says quail. Another trans another translation says egrets or a bird that is equal to what we call egrets. I don't know what that would be in Israel. But I used to <clears throat> I used to sit on the front porch my senior year. We moved up to the lake. And every single evening, these birds would come in at dusk. I mean, like clockwork, because we lived on a dirt road, and they would fly over our dirt road and go down to the lake to make their nest. What an egret is, an egret goes to the pasture. They clock in and punch the, the time clock to go to work and pick bugs off cows. Cowbirds. They're cowbirds, yeah. Yeah. It's a partnership with cows. Yeah. Go sit on their backs and eat bugs and the cows let them and they sit there all day and eat bugs and then they, okay, the sun's going down. Before dusk, I mean, right at dusk, they flew over our house every day and went down to nest in the lake. And what I'm pointing out is Bain Ha'arabayim was the time of the killing of the Passover lamb. Mm. And here it says dusk and then in the next verse, and I'm kind of glad I made the boo-boo because in the next verse, it says evening. Dusk and evening are the same thing is the point that I'm trying to make. So if we look in verse 13, are you with me? Yes, sir. Yep. And the reason I bring that up is because our Jewish people, the Pharisees, moved the execution of the lamb to three o'clock in the afternoon. The killing of the Passover lamb was moved to three o'clock in the afternoon. And this is proving that Ben Ha'arabayim is at sundown. So this is not also, this is not, this, okay, let me say it this way. It's not only teaching them the Sabbath. It's also teaching them when to observe Pesach. It's locking down the time of the killing of the Passover lamb. Absolutely. Wow. All right. Okay, so the four question songs just really work with this theme tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So back down here. 
Tomorrow is a solemn rest. This is in verse 23. Tomorrow is a solemn rest. Shabbaton, Shabbat, Kurish Layawamachar. So Hebrew words are in different orders sometimes. Shabbaton, a Sabbath rest, if you will. Shabbat Kodesh, a set-apart rest, a Sabbath, for Yahweh. It's not the Jewish Sabbath. It's his Sabbath. Roger. All right. So the bread from heaven is establishing the Sabbath. Everybody got that locked in? Yes. Because that bread was a clock. You will not find it in the field. Six days you'll gather it, but on the seventh day, there shall be none. And it came to pass on the seventh day that there went out some of the people to gather, and they found none. And Yahweh said unto Moshe, how long do you refuse to keep my meats, vote, and my laws? The Torah had not been given to them yet officially. They weren't carrying a Torah scroll around in their hip pocket. And Moshe is already saying, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? How can he do that? How can he say that? Well, I will go back all the way to the beginning of Bereshit and say that the Torah was given then and Whenever Yah was walking with Adam and Chava in the garden, they weren't talking about the cowboy season that year. He was probably teaching them Torah. Exactly. And it was all through on. It's been passed on. But yet, as they were in captivity, <clears throat> excuse me, as they were in captivity in Mediterranean for all those years, they forgot. Is the only reason why it had to be written down. But they knew what these laws were. They knew what these commandments were. Well... I agree, but at a minimum, he had given them the command, don't gather on the sixth day. Uh, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you go more Moshe, Moshe was in, in direct correspondence with God every day. Exactly. So exactly. exactly. And that, that's, that's the point. So you're right, Joe. I do believe that God spoke his righteousness to Adam. And that Adam passed it down to Seth, and that Seth passed it down to his son through Enoch, who was a righteous man, so righteous that God wanted him up in heaven, so he took him. And he, his son, Methuselah, passed it down all the way to Lamech, who passed it down to Noah, and Noah passed it down to Shem, and Shem passed it down to Abraham, because Shem and Abraham lived at the same time, and I do believe they knew each other. All right? Uh, so yes, because it says in, in Genesis 26, I believe it is because Abraham kept my customs, my decrees and my law. All right. So yes, I do believe in an oral tradition. I do. And that is a Jewish thing that I'm not offended by, but I don't carry it so far as to say there was a second law altogether that the rabbis wrote. And that's what Talmud is, all right? But what I do believe is that the body of righteous laws was handed down orally, but they had lost it. These people had lost it in all likelihood. They probably talked about it, 
but they didn't understand it as much. They weren't able to practice it because they were oppressed. Mm-hmm. But now at a minimum, they are get, they just got the instructions. Don't pick it up on the sixth day or on the seventh day, rather. Don't go out and look for it on the seventh day. It's not going to be there. And they went out and looked for it. That's, that's human tendency is to go beyond what the word of God says and to test him, you know, to go beyond what he says. And that, and, you know, the, the fact that I have taught and 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 people have listened to me for two, three, five, seven, ten years. That doesn't mean that they're safe from going away from the truth because too many of them have. And, you know, it'd be easy for me to paint myself as a failure, but by God, I know what I have taught and how diligently I have expressed it over and over and over again, you know, about doing what God says to do and and not to go beyond that. But it's human tendency to go beyond what God says. And, you know, all they did was step out their door and look for a little bread. Stuff was good. but they refused to keep his law when they did it, right? They reasoned within themselves, well, it might be there, though. You know, maybe he's changed his mind. Maybe God changed his mind. No, he won't do that. All right. Maybe it'll be a little tastier. I love that when God changed his mind. Uh-huh. These people say, God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, so what happened to him? <laughs> like, they, they can't. We can't keep it all together, man. Or surely God didn't say you would die. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. God's no well, respect for persons, but oh, but this is only for the Jewish people. Yeah, they had a serpent moment. Very good. That's exactly what they did. All right. I didn't realize it was so late, but we did get a little bit of a late start, so it's okay. But well, hey, Daniel, I have a quick question. Uh huh. Okay, so so where it says, um, "How long do you refuse to keep my mitzvot and my laws?" That's actually you're saying in direct correlation to them sticking their head out the tent, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because they just blatantly disobeyed. Yeah, it's right there. Okay. Okay. With the I just wanted... get, that went out together. Okay, that's what I thought. I'm just yeah. getting it in my head. Yep. Got it. Thank you. All right, so we, somebody write down that we're leaving off in 1629. All right, Avinu Malkinu, in the name of your son, Yahweh Yeshua Mashiach, would you give thanks for your Torah, your word? Um, you bless us by it. You feed us by it. It preserves our lives. We thank you for that. And we're sorry for our murmuring and groaning and grumbling and complaining. And uh, we ask you to strengthen us by your word and cause us to rely even more on it. Teach us it truthfully to us and only your word and not man's ideas. We thank you for it. We ask you to be with our whole congregation. Those who could not uh, join us, we ask you to bless them and to assemble with us on Shabbat and make your presence known. B'Shem Yahweh, Yeshua Mashiach. Amen. 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 Thanks for tuning in to listen to this week's Torah study class. In the description, you'll find all the links to our website and social media content. Please make sure you're subscribed to our podcast as we can be found on all major podcast platforms. 
If you feel compelled to support this ministry, please feel free to do so by donating via the Get the Word Out link in the description. All proceeds go toward growing this platform and the Mikdash Mayat ministry. Till the next time, we pray God blesses you with shalom in the name of Yahweh Yeshua Mashiach.